Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. elevator pitch of you and what you do like what would you say if I turned to you and I was like oh my name's Chawan and I run an occult channel it's called witches and wine and I say I'm Cindy I write and teach better living through witchcraft better living through I love that because it's usually better living through science better living for better living through Right? I'm glad you get the reference. Then I would ask, of course, oh, witchcraft, that's so interesting. Like, what sort of witchy stuff do you do? I do a lot of energy work and work with uh, different spirits, including plant spirits and animal spirits. The spirits of place are very important to me. And I fundamentally see witchcraft as um, a way for people to grow and expand and heal and to live better lives. The way that I actually got to know about you was through your blog on Pathios Pagan, Keeping Her Keys. And, you know, like, I've worked with Hecate or Hecate. Some people call her Ekit. Yeah. Like, really old witches. That's how I first heard her name was Ekit. I found your blog, and, you know, I was reading through it, and I love how your blog talks about really, I mean, you give instructions on how to, I think you have one article about how to first draw her in, you know, like how to first kind of introduce yourself to her. I've been um, working with Hecate for at least a decade in a kind of where she is my like primary goddess or the primary energy source that I work with for probably a decade. Um, before that, it was, um, I was a member of the Fellowship of Isis. How did she come to you? Well, this is a funny story because I wanted want to be like a better story, but I was honestly folding towels in the laundry room. And I had like this, you know, I think as I was kind of like really tired, kind of in a natural trance state, you know how you are, it's late at night and you're doing the laundry. And, and I just heard this voice said, to, this really clear voice that said, it's time. You know, I love the myths and the lore about Hecate and, I think her energy currents are very real. Um, but at that time, I was like super hardcore atheist, even though I was a member of the Fellowship of Isis because I love the stories about the goddesses so much. And I was like, what is going on? Like, what, what is this? I, you know, like, what is this? I hear some, like, someone talking to me. I'm losing it. But And I also had this like flash of knowing that it was Hecate. And Hecate was only like a peripheral goddess that I really didn't even know anything about at the time. And, and so I wrote that article, I think when Hecate calls, and it's so amazing that I have literally heard from hundreds of people since I wrote that about their experience um, with Hecate calling them for a first time and having that kind of thing, like, what is this voice I'm hearing? Like, I'm nuts. Like, I'm not 
you know, I'm not the type of person who hears the gods. The gods don't speak to me, but I hear this voice. Like, I've heard so many stories, you know, like the scientist in me says, but the data says, you know, you've heard from hundreds of people who are telling you the same kind of thing happened. Why is it happening so often now? I feel like Hecate, over the years, has become more and more well-known. I think that's really interesting, and that's why she fascinates me, you know, like as a subject to write about. There's so much to write about Hecate. And why is she so popular now when she really is like this liminal goddess who is on the fringe of uh, mythology and literature and art for like 3,000 years, but never right front and center. She's always just there. We live in a time of great transformation, you know, like a great change. And I think the overall energetic currents on our planet change based on where we're at, where the planet is at. And I think we are in this kind of tumultuous time where energies like Hecate um, that are dark and powerful and about sovereignty and personal power um, really emerge. Because, and it's what people need. When we talk about like the rise in the popularity of witchcraft and young witches being drawn to the craft, I think you know Hecate has always been the goddess of witches, dating back to like her earliest known history, you know, three thousand years ago when she, when the Greeks got a hold of her, you know, she was a fertility goddess. She was a dark mother, and she was associated with magic. So Hecate has always been, you know, it's really about going into the dark. Um, and finding the truth in the darkness, the dark wet womb, and all those things. I call it the holy darkness. You know, the holy darkness within ourselves when we need to go, like, through it, you know, into those deeper parts of ourselves, those difficult times. And it's also, like, the holy darkness really in Western society where so much is changing. You know, and we see kind of, like, um, the rise of leaders who are really fighting against this kind of change where the world is becoming um, less about the patriarchy and more empowering, you know, for women and people who aren't part of the patriarchy. When you see how powerful people are becoming, and I think goddesses like Hecate, the Morrigan, um, for some people they find this strength in the current by connecting with demons you know, like, so I think it's just, it's a, definitely a big vibe right now that people are really tapping into something. On Facebook, somebody wrote down that they think that Hecate is misunderstood and actually she's in heaven. That she's actually not a dark goddess and she's a light goddess. Hmm. I don't know about that, hmm. but who is Hecate to you? Who, who, Hecate is primarily, um, I call her the dark mother. But to me, the Dark Mother means that she is a force um, of creation and destruction. You know, she is the dark and she is the torches in the dark. Beyond being an embodied goddess, she has this dualistic nature where she is both things. I know there is like the vibe where, you know, Hecate is like a light goddess. or But it's I think people are misconstruing... Um, when people like myself and the new year, I'm going to write a little bit about this. Hecate is also referred to by some of, um, some early philosophers 
as the anima mundi or the world soul or savior. And I think with our 21st century lens, people think the word savior has something to do with angels and lightness. But to the authors who were writing about her 2,000 years ago, they didn't have the Christian idea of what salvation was. So it's a really different. So I think people, there is kind of this conflation where people kind of see these terms that Hecate is Sotiera and they try to Christian her up. And make her to be a light goddess when, to the people, the authors who are writing about her, they saw salvation be being very much like a dark thing and of the underworld and of soul's progression. When most people think about salvation, it's heaven, you know, come to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus and it's passive, that. right? Like it's, it's passive. passive. And, you know, when the ancient writers were talking about Hecate or Persephone as Sotiera, they weren't, Persephone and Hecate weren't coming to save your ass. Like they, they, you turn to that energy or that myth on to find your own way through the darkness, about your soul's progression. It wasn't about, you know, you go and say seven Hail Marys and you can be a big asshole the rest of the week. You know, it was real salvation, right? It was that soul working up through your journey. Um, it's like heavy, deep, dark salvation. I don't like to sound like I'm picking on Christians, but, you know, there is that that kind of, like, that insta-forgiveness, like, that you can just be saved. And, <laughs> this is not instant. Hecate and Sotiera is not about insta-salvation. It fascinates me how she is, like, this dark goddess, this nefarious goddess who was drinking blood and leading her horde of hobgoblins, and but always wearing the golden sandals. Like, she always had awesome footwear. Um <laughs> But then, at this, then a few hundred years later, here these Neoplatonic scholars are writing about her as the very soul of the world. Like, isn't that really fascinates me? Right. So often, when we think about the world soul, we think of like Gaia and it's green and it's kind of Mother Nature selling shampoo or something. But when people were writing and talking about Anima Mundi all these years ago, some of the earliest thinkers. They saw the Anima Mundi as this dark goddess. That's one of the things that I'm starting to think more and more about. All the guests that I've had have had fundamentally the same message, which is, which is about aligning to your true will. You know, Aleister Crowley mm -hmm. said it that way. But even if you're not about him, it's literally knowing yourself, know thyself, being totally grounded and full of gravitas and who you are. And then from mm -hmm. that place of power which is sovereignty, which is agency, then yeah. you can affect the world around you. It's very against the traditional monotheistic way of looking at life, where it's like the power comes from above into you. This is like the power comes from within, and then you extend it out. So a lot of that has to do with shadow work. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to do shadow work. But then when I think about Hecate, she is a liminal goddess, and she's a dark goddess. So inherently, she's about the shadow work. Shadow work is really about you, you go through everything and you learn at the end of it that it's okay just to be you. So I think the liminality of Hecate, I think kind of her vibe since antiquity is that she was associated with souls and the distressed and the unwanted and the darker parts of humanity that she really lends herself well um, to shadow work.
and to soul retrieval and all those kinds of things that are really a big part of what I teach and write about. Yeah, a lot of what you write about in terms of Hecate is is about the, I would say, reclaiming who you are. And you have to put do as you feel led. I mean, I think one of the things with Hecate is that although she, you know, like a lot of us Hecateans practice the, the Dipnon, which is a an honor, a ritual honoring her every dark moon, Hecate is well pleased by offerings, but she's fine without them. <laughs> you know, and she is a goddess that's very much about sovereignty, that if you want to follow her, if you want to go in deeper, deeper into yourself and learn about your shadow self and learn how to work, like understand and be connected to your shadow, she'll provide, you know, light those torches and lead you in the right direction. But ultimately, it's your free will. You can do the work or not. It's really no skin off of her nose. I'm hearing this story from hundreds and hundreds of people. So it's a legitimate phenomenon. She retains her sovereignty and she expects you to do the same. And you respect her and she respects you, which is very different than supplication. What would you suggest would be a good mindset to approach Hecate with? I think to be um, open-minded. You know, it's, it's perfectly understandable to fear Hecate. You know, as an intimi- she's an intimidating force. Um, and, and because she... Uh, brings up those parts of ourselves that we're really afraid of, you know, that her her um, energetic current does that. So I would say just take it easy. Just start honoring her on the dark moon, which is the astrological new moon. Do a simple ritual in your home. And maybe over the course of, say, like six um, cycles or something, actually do the dipnon where you go to a crossroads in the dead of night and leave her a food offering and walk away without looking back because it's a transformative experience and if you see what the dipnon actually is you know you can leave offerings to Hecate anywhere she does like crossroads she's always been associated with crossroads but it's the act it's such an act of will and sovereignty to be like yeah, I'm going to go take this food and it, you know food out to this goddess in the middle of the night by myself, you know, you think about the whole act of doing the, the dipnon is about, it's very sovereign. You know, it's not an act of supplication. Like you're not, you, you are honoring her, but you're really saying, I am powerful enough to go and do this kind of weird thing. Some people think it's kind of weird to do this, you know, <laughs> but you think about what that is. Like it is about sovereignty. No one really wants to go out and find a crossroads in the middle of the night. Can you describe a little bit more exactly what the dipnon is? The dipnon is has become a really common modern practice. Um, it's based on records from ancient Greek Greece about twenty five hundred years ago. So every dark moon, and so the Greeks had like the ancient Greeks had a completely different calendar than what we do now. So the that would be the liminal space between one month and the other is the night of the dark moon. So to them, Hecate, of course inhabited this liminal space. A lot of um, the different like city-states and islands actually uh, worshipped Hecate as a goddess of the household. So the Dipnon was all about having a supper for her where you did things to earn her favor and her protection for the month ahead. So even though she wasn't kind of part of the main Olympians, you know, like Zeus and Hera and 
Athena that there was this practice. So you make the supper. Um, they would uh, sacrifice an animal, and they would all touch the animal to get rid of their miasma, you know, their toxic whatever they had going on, and then they would sacrifice the animal, and the animal would be offered to her at the crossroads. That's basically where the ancient dipnon came from. Now, today, a lot of people will adapt that for modern life, so they'll offer a different type of sacrifice. So give up something for a month, you know, give up, I don't know, Starbucks for a month, or, you know, um, something that's more in keeping of the spirit of what the ancients were doing compared to actually just offering like cakes um, and wine at the crossroads. But it's all about making this journey of detoxifying yourself um, and seeking Hecate's protection and honoring her. And it's often done um, at a crossroads, which can be a literal three-way crossroads, four-way crossroads, or the juncture of land, sea, and sky. Because she presides over, she has dominion over land, sea, and sky, according to one of the ancient writers. So that's also a crossroads. It's a liminal space that you go to. And mm -hmm. in this liminal space, you're offering uh, whatever it is that you're going to offer to Hikate. And then you have to walk away without looking back. Why is that important? So Hecate was both feared and revered by the ancients. The idea was that her or her horde, you know, and sometimes her horde was hobgoblins, sometimes her horde were um, really scary dogs, and sometimes her horde were um, the restless dead. So the idea, you left the offering, and then you got the hell out of there before her, her like, you know, you got to think a goddess who's got hobgoblins, really scary dogs, and murderers, and the outcasts hanging around with her. You don't look back. Like, you just get out of there. And then, of course, the offerings actually would feed the outcasts of society because the positions, you know, where they would leave them at these crossroads, that's where, like, the unclean dead would be buried or where the really poor, um, unwanted cast-offs of society, they would live in these areas where these offerings were made. Oh, so hungry ghosts, spirits, uh, people, yeah. animals. Exactly. Let's talk about practical aspects of this. So somebody's like, I want to work with Hecate. I'm not going to start doing that. What can they expect to see once they start doing it? Let's say not just one month, but they've done it for like three or four months. Um, usually, like if you do the dip known, like you make the Hecate supper and you do the offering, I would say like, after that is usually when people will do like a meditation or some kind of journey um, to open themselves up to her messages. You know, even as you're walking back, like if you walk a little ways to do it, you just really kind of, if you're safe, of course, open yourself up to her messages and signs and you'll start to see them. Because it, what it does is this practice draws her energy currents closer to you. People have often described building a relationship with a deity as building a relationship with just anybody. It's the same thing. Same thing. So you give like a present and attention to somebody, you're going to build a closer relationship than if you just casually, I don't know, spam them when you need something from them. And also, you know, if you take the time to make it something that's important to you, instead of just saying, you know, like I, for example, I don't like red roses at all. So if you gave me red roses, 
I would think, oh, that's really nice, but you clearly don't know me very well. But if you gave me, I don't know, like asters, I love asters. So if you gave me asters, I would be like, oh, yeah, like you're giving me something that you know I will care for. But then if you gave me your favorite flower and you only had one flower and you really love this flower and you gave it to me, then I would really know that you really cared about me. So, you know, it's the difference of offerings, right? Like, and it's about building a relationship. It's like giving of yourself versus just giving something. It's just like, you know, you always have that one person at Christmas who buys you the gift that they wanted, but it's not really what you wanted. (laughs) So they got you a gift, yeah, but it's sort of like, oh, PlayStation 4. I don't play video games, but yeah, you can come over to my house and play it from now on. Or you're just uh, giving someone a gift, you know, because you you want them to do nice things for you. Oh, yeah, and you can always tell. It's like when that guy, he, like, pays for dinner and stuff, cause he, and you can just feel that he expects something out of that date because he paid for dinner. Right? So that yeah. I think some people, when they get into working with Hecate or any deity, they kind of have that mindset. Like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set up a shrine to you, and I'm going to do all the things right, so you better do things for me. And it's like, it doesn't work like that in mundane relationships. Why do you think it would work like that in a spiritual relationship with a deity? It's like, guys, keep in mind, you're building a relationship. This isn't just like, you're not trying to use her. You're actually working with her. And again, it's this idea of like sovereignty versus like, I'm just going to like take stuff from Hecate. Like she's like a mom and I'm like the helpless baby. That's not how it works. No, I mean, I mean, sometimes people, that's kind of where they start, I think, with um, Hecate, because they are so wounded at the time, and I think those people either get really frustrated, and I call them drive-by Hecateans, you know, like, they last for, like, like, (laughs) oh my god, yes, you know, it's like, oh, there goes another one, Um, because, uh, like, she, it is about building a relationship, and she's not, like, she's the dark mother, she's the mother of all, she's not your mother. And, you know, a lot of people are wounded, and they need to heal the mother wound, and she can certainly help with that, but Hecate will always be the one who says, you, you know, I'm here, like, heal yourself. You know, like, take my energy currents, take my power, but you do the work. And it's a really different vibe then I think you know what I mean then like what some people are have experienced with different faiths or even different goddesses that it's you know it's agentic like you said earlier it's it's about agency and choice if you were dating Hecate it would be like a super healthy relationship she's like totally on your side and she wants you to become the person that you were meant to be but she's not going to do the work for you no, but she will kick your ass if you get out of line. <laughs> Tough, love. Tough love. Tough love. And How? she can be distant and aloof, you know, because she's not that kind of cuddly energy, you know, where everything's going to be all right there, there. It's more like, well, you've done it this time. She's like that really good friend you have who's like tells you the truth, but if you still make a mess out of things, they're there to help you bury the body. She's like a ride or die. She's a total ride exactly. or die. Since you started working with her, how has your life changed just in a practical way? In a, this is like, 
one of the other things I've really kind of discovered is that so many people have an experience where Hecate comes to them kind of when they're at their weakest, like their darkest hour. They really transform their lives. And that certainly was the case for me. Like I was in going through a lot of kind of the things that people do in their 30s. You know, I was getting divorced and my career was having, you know, it was a a typical kind of, um, you know, you said earlier, you have a demographic of younger witches and witches in their 40s. It's because in the 30s, we're like busy getting divorced and having kids and doing all kinds of other stuff. No time for witchcraft. So I was, all this stuff was going on and I was really, really like really in a bad place. You know, like really not connected to my magic or anything in any really important way. And she really helped me through like all those dark times and making all those tough decisions and getting to a place where like after 10 years where I lived the life that I always wanted to have. But it wasn't, easy like it took a lot of grit um and sacrifice not to her but you know on my part so I think she is very like a you know she's known as like the triple-headed goddess and people love that image of her but when you unpack what the triple-headed goddess really is triformis it's about transformation so I think she's very much a goddess of transformation too that will guide you to better living through witchcraft I think a lot of people, they're looking for those cool reminders or signs from her that they should work with her. Like, one of the big questions that I've been constantly getting is, you know, should I work with her? Like, how do I even know? Like, should I be waiting for a black dog to show up? So sometimes people do feel called. You know, they hear that voice. But other times, it's more of a distant thing. Um, So I think if you're, like, seeking Hecate... I think really exploring what she means to you and kind of creating that uh, that mundane mindset, but also opening up to symbols and signs in the world. Like, you know, yeah, does a black dog come to you? Is it a key that you see where it doesn't, you know, the, the key shouldn't be there? Is it like a whisper, or you think you see something out of the corner of your eye. You know, there's so many different ways that this that she can present to you that it's really, you know, up to the individual to kind of perceive it. It's like, just what do you know? You know, there's the, uh, what do you think? Like, well, that could be wrong, or it could be this. But then it's like, what do you know? Like, do you believe that that key was a sign from her? And then that's what really matters. You make a choice. And you can choose to believe or not to believe. It becomes a lot easier when you choose, well, this is what makes sense to me, and I'm just going to carry on. Because this makes me happy and resonates with my soul. So a lot of people, after I wrote my article about being an atheist witch, they reached out to me and they were just like, I'm also an atheist witch. So there's a huge contingent of atheist witches. It's not an anomaly, and it's not an oxymoron. You can be an atheist and a witch. But you're dealing with things that you can't prove and dealing with things that go against what the atheist mind says is, first of all, real, and second of all, probable or possible. Yeah. You've been working with her for 10 years. You've been working with plants and, you know, you just know it, right? But it's not like you're having fantastic, like, spiritual, like, visits and stuff, like, on a daily basis. So how do you know... I think this is such an interesting question, and it's like, you know what? 
I can't be sure in kind of like the grand scale, but I know what resonates and works for me. And there's a certain degree of uncertainty that I think is inherent in witchcraft. That you do need to just take that step and say, this probably isn't even probable, but for whatever reason, it speaks to my soul, so I'm going to pursue it. So even if my rational mind over here says this is ludicrous, something deeper and more ancient in me it says, no, that's, this is the way to do things. You know, I teach an entire course that has no deities in it. It's it completely, you can be an atheist. It's all about plant magic. You have to believe in spirits, you know, like plant spirits and animal spirits. But you don't even have to believe in, like, like uh, embodied spirits. I think you're so right about the atheist vibe out there. And there's also, you know, you can have a relationship with a goddess like Hecate and not see her as an embodied goddess. See her as this spirit of how she comes to you, that archetypal spirit. See her as this spirit that's been written about for 3,000 years. Like that, you know, has so much energy to it. Because, you know, you don't have to believe that she's an embodied goddess. You can believe that she's a current, she's a, you know, that, and all of this um, energy that's been devoted to her over centuries and how you perceive her. To me, that's enough. How can you be an atheist? How can you be anything like that if you are talking about spirits? You're talking about fantasy. You're talking about fairies in the sky. And so there's that really tough but inherently magical space because it is a liminal space that atheist witches mm -hmm. are in because you're not one or the other. You're like literally like kind of suspended in between. I'm so curious to know like what happens when you do have doubt? Is it okay to have doubt? Oh, I think, I think like... Doubt is like a witch's best friend. Like, if you are 100% confident, like, I don't think there's any room in witchcraft for, for just blind faith. And I don't mean, like, self-doubt. I mean, like, analysis, like, critical thinking about what you're doing. Mm. I think that's a really beautiful part of witchcraft that's well-practiced. Because you think about Christianity, like, it's all about blind faith. You just are supposed to believe. But I don't, but I think in witchcraft, it's like, why? No one's asking you to believe anything. Believe what works for you and do magic as it makes sense to you. But always, like, the better records you keep about what you're doing, the better you'll be able to track if what you're doing is working or not. Guys, magical journals are everything. and They are everything. They are everything. And guys, like, if you're a scientist going to Antarctica, do you think you're just going to make observations in your head and not write it down? You have to exactly. write it down. And I always say to have your magical journal and then have like your formal book of shadows because the formal book of shadows is like, this is done. I've got this spell, you know, I've got all this stuff done, but your magical journal is where you make your word webs and you come up with your ideas and you tell the truth and you know, you really, that magical journal is key. Tell me about your classes. So I do a year and a day course about um, Hecate and witchcraft. I like the kind of year and a day, um, vibe and I think it's a good for people who really want like an intensive program that's really about you know learning about Hecate plant magic animal spirit magic kind of everything that honors the spirit of her ancient witches like Medea and Kirke in a very modern way um, and then I teach the sacred seven which is um, really a like a magical program of personal development but you learn a lot about plants and animal spirits and some planetary magic. 
a little bit of stoichia, you know, so a little bit of more occulty things. And then we do some consciousness work at the end. So it's really um, using all these different kind of spirits and magical practices to kind of achieve like a more magical life. The life that is to move you forward towards the life that you want for yourself or the life that you feel you were put here to live. So it sounds like one course, it deals more with Hecate and the other course, it deals more with like a general magic. Yeah, and the element, we do a lot of elemental magic, so there's no deities in the Sacred Seven at all. A lot of moon magic. If you're doing any course with me, you're gonna we're going to be doing lots with the moon. Um, so yeah, so it's just all those other forces, but no deities. This Hecate course goes for a year and a day. Yeah. How much work is it? Working on the course. It's a pretty intensive course. We do, you know, they have assignments. They have... Um, you know, so the textbook is my book on my intro to modern Hecate and witchcraft. And then they have like a guide that's about 10,000 words that, that's just for the students. And then they have their assignments. And then we do community events. So they learn how to like lead journeys and lead rituals and support people through them as well. So not just, not just book learning, they're doing a bunch of stuff. And then they do like individual projects and group projects as well where they kind of an area that fascinates them where they go in deeper. So it's a real program, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing. And I have like the most amazing students, so it's, it's lots of fun. It's a real witchcraft course. And when you're done, you can, uh, like, you can go through a formal initiation process if you'd like with me. Um, or you can do self-initiation. I'm all about choice, right? So we can do it this way or we'll do it this way. It's just from my experience working with Hikate, she's not this sort of like me and only me. She's not jealous. She's not possessive. She, again, is all about you being your sovereign self and having agency. And so no matter who else you're working with or if you're an atheist or you don't do any sort of magic, it doesn't matter. Like, she is willing to work with you if you are willing to put in the work with her. As yeah. Well. It's not like you have to choose her and that's it. Oh, no. That would be beneath her mm. to be like that. You know, she wouldn't be that petty. Exactly. Like, suit yourself. Like, it's no skin off her nose, right? Like, if you have another god, she'll still be just fine. I'm like Hecate in that I make the students do all the work. I'm here as a guide and a support but it's up to students to do the work. I want to hear your experience with the work. But I'm not here to hold your hand and make sure that you follow steps one through seven. If you can't follow you know, steps one through seven on your own, then what am I going to do? Like, really? Also, like, vetting applications really carefully and not admitting people into the course that might not be suited for this. And that's not a judgment against them. It's just it's a very specific type of course where there is a lot of agency and free will about what people do as well. I always say I'm not anybody's high priestess, right? I don't want to be your high priestess, but I'm happy to be your teacher and your mentor. Again, like this course is based upon the book that you wrote. So yeah. based on your budget, you can get the book, read it. And by the time this video comes out, you'll still have a couple of months to decide if you want to take the course. And I designed the book that way. You know, the book is a standalone course. So if that's where you're at, then just the book will work great for you. But if you want that really immersive experience, and I also offer scholarships. Like I always, you know, if someone comes to me and they're 100% sincere, 
I have a scholarship process where they write an essay, and I won't turn away someone who is ready for the work and who is sincere. I am a committed herbalist, so I use a lot of plant spirit magic, but other people use different spirits. You know, but you don't need you don't need gods or goddesses either. I mean, people are sometimes surprised when I say that when I spend so much time uh, writing about Hecate. Every witch started like taking like say 20 oak leaves a year. The oak trees would grow better and they would be more hardy because they're not. No one's taking you know no one's really taking care of them. They're just sitting there, and you know plants need to be. Um, pruned or deadheaded, you know, where you remove the buds, and that way it encourages them to grow. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers, they're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off.